back my shoot. I did what? You don't trust me? You gotta earn trust. Okay, we'll earn it together. Here, take mine. Hey, Johnny, I don't think this is such a good idea. Bodie's pack job's pretty shitty. They only open about half the time. Wes! Bullshit. Why don't you take young grommets here? How'd that be? Nah, you don't want this one, man. This one's set for a neck breaker. He's probably better off something like this. You're gonna jump or jerk off. <laughs> That's my man. Episode 37 of the Cult of Matt Mark Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. And make sure to uh, visit our website at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com and our email address, uh, if you want to write us, is uh, cultfilmreview at gmail.com and download the Stitcher app and uh, hear streaming on your smart device. Um, have we ever got an email? No. All right. Yes, no. Uh, I got That's some, my boy. I got some spam once. But, uh, oh really? Ooh. Yeah, I don't know. I, I got knocked. Somebody put a comment that they they that we didn't have an email address and they were trying to get a hold of us, mm. and so I put one up because I'd been meaning to do it and that was enough of an impetus to do it. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, leave a comment if you're lazy. Don't want to construct an email. Email is sort of getting old fashioned anyway. It is. We should really have a a uh, Twitter account that they can do. Uh, they can uh, instant Twitter messages. We have Twitter. Oh, we do? Yeah, it gets automatically updated. Do you tweet on it? Uh, no, it does it when I put out a post, so it oh. get updated. Well, we'll have to register on Twitter. And I think it would, it, I forget, it's a cult of Matt and Mark at Cult Film Review, so if you want to follow us on Twitter. That's a long name. I don't know how Twitter works, to be honest. I just set up the account and it automatically updates, so. Oh, okay, that's fine. Uh, you can get to it from our website, I know that much. Well, I'm going to check it out. Uh, this week... Our film is uh, the cult classic Point Break, released in 1991, directed by Catherine Bigelow, Oscar award-winning Catherine Bigelow. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a movie, uh, did you see, um, what was the, the Hurt Locker? I, I did not see the Hurt Locker. Oh. I was thinking of uh, torrenting it, but then they started uh, suing everybody. You don't torrent, kids. <laughs> Steal from the artist's. Uh, uh, no, I, I never saw it. Actually, it's sitting on my DVR, but I haven't watched it. It's uh, surprisingly has similar themes. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised about the uh, the time span difference, but maybe you know more about that than me. Not so much. Um, Catherine Bigelow, this was released in 1991. She was married to King of the World James Cameron. Yeah. And coincidentally, Point Break was released at the same time as Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Oh, was it? So there's probably some friendly competition there, Ooh. although I'm sure Terminator 2 blew uh, Point Break out of the water. Point Break had a budget of $24 million and grossed $83 million at the box office, so it mm-hmm. wasn't a loser. It was. I remember seeing it, actually, in the summertime. A uh, friend of mine from high school, Michael Lewis, you remember? Oh, Big Mike. Big Mike. Uh, yeah, we saw, I don't know, we saw like three movies a week. Cause oh, there was we, one summer you guys were just going movie nuts? Yeah, we had days off during the week, so we would just go hit matinees for like three bucks or whatever they were back then. Uh-huh. Would you hit multiple showings in one go? or just, uh, uh, No, we'd, we'd it was, space it, wasn't it that, out. It was that ghetto. Yeah, we saw a lot of shit then. <laughs> I think we even saw like Problem Child. 
which is a one of those terrible like Oh yeah, who was, who was the who was the mover and shaker of problem child? There was some uh, child actor, right? Yeah, I don't know. Famous now, but I thought there was somebody uh uh, yeah, so we saw it back then, and uh, it's sort of stuck. I've, I don't know how many times I've seen Point Break, but Point Break is definitely stuck with me. It's my dad's favorite movie. Really? <laughs> I mean, it's a good movie. I, I'd just be hard-pressed making this movie my favorite movie, because it does have some faults. Oh, <laughs> just a few. <laughs> uh, this is your first viewing of Point Break, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I've never seen it before. I guess, you know, it's... You know, one of the things that I always thought I should view, especially after I watch Hot Fuzz, which I really enjoyed, uh, that's by the same guy who did Shaun of the Dead. And it, there's uh, they point, talk they talk about Point Break in that film as being a quintessential movie. So I thought I really got to go see that. And Bad Boys, they talk about Bad oh, Boys. Oh, Bad Boys. But um, I hadn't seen it. I mean, I'm glad I did. And I certainly enjoyed it. But uh, it certainly is not without its faults. Boy, is it a beautiful film to watch. So let's run down this the plot for those who maybe are listening to this that haven't seen Point Break in the past five years, although it's kind of hard to forget the, what the movie's about. Uh, here we go. Johnny Utah. Great name, by the way. That is a classic name. I don't know who came up with that name. If It was, it must have been the screenwriter, hopefully. Um, That's just a classic name. At Reeves, uh, he, liked the, yeah, he liked the name of his character. Uh, he, because it was sort of a cross between Johnny Unitas and Joe Montana. It's a great. I did put a state name in there. It just really makes it bounce. Yeah, there's not a lot of state name mm-hmm. characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking of uh, there's a Patricia Arquette character in Tony Scott's uh, True Romance called Alabama. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, uh, Georgia. A- uh, yeah, there's quite. A, you could probably come up with a few other ones. Mm-hmm. Top of my head, um, Missouri. Missouri. Well, there's guys called Tex after Texas. Well, yeah. They're called Tex. Yeah, Texas is sort of a special case. So Johnny Utah is a special agent for the FBI. Utah gets partnered with Angelo Pappas, played by a somewhat sane Gary Busey. Post-accident, though. Post-accident Gary Busey. An ex- experienced agent who is more than committed to his work. The two are asked to investigate the number of robberies committed by a group called the Ex-Presidents, who wear masks of President Reagan, Nixon, Carter, and Johnson for their robberies. Pappas has a theory that the ex-presidents are a group of surfers and asks for Utah to go undercover as a surfer. Problem is, Utah couldn't surf to save his life. That, plus the continuously being harassed by the unpleasant and rough Agent Harp, uh, with, uh, oh, Agent Harp played by, uh, what's his name? Uh, John C. McGinley. Oh, yeah, he's a great actor. Of course, we all enjoyed him in Scrubs. Scrubs, that's kind of where I think of him from. Uh, with the help of Tyler Perry, played by Lori Petty, a competent female surfer, Utah begins to gain respect of local surfer Bodie, uh, played by Patrick Swayze and his group. Utah forms a close bond with Bodie, but the relationship between Utah and Bodie becomes limited when Utah suspects that Bodie and his group of are the ex-presidents. Mm. Well, that's kind of it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Fairly straightforward. When... Um, when he finds that, when he finds that realization, it's literally right in the middle of the film. This this movie is two hours two minutes long. He, he sees them throw the BA on the beach, and it comes a realization at one hour one minute. Interesting. I didn't I didn't do the time timeline. I thought it was really neat that 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 broke so f- early in the film because then the film takes another section, which we'll talk about in the second half of today's show. But uh, but that is an interesting moment in the film. 
So some production history. Originally, uh, Matthew Broderick and Charlie Sheen uh, were to star in this film, and it was going to be directed by Ridley Scott. The murderer Matthew Broderick? The murderer Matthew Broderick. And Charlie Sheen. Do you say that ironically? when you? It, okay, Matthew Broderick was uh, charged with drinking and driving was, in Ireland. He was blitzed and killed somebody when he lost control of his car. In Ireland. Or, or a, a mother-daughter or something like that. Yeah. And he paid a fine. And so we tend to think of drinking and dry, driving in the U.S. as waving around a loaded gun, mm-hmm. more or less. Well, most of the world sees it that way these days. Because you crunch, people crunch the numbers on drinking and driving, and people figure out how dangerous it really is. So society as a whole decided that uh, before you could drink and drive, but now it's verboten behavior. There was a... Though widely done by people. There was a Onion article, and it was 97% of drunk drivers get home okay. Uh, much higher than that. I know it, the, the, the few occasions that I drove, I never drove blasted, but certainly over .08 that uh, I got home all right. But yeah, that's that's your early twenties. I used to. I can't. I can't imagine. I'd be. I'd be hard pressed for somebody other than a teetotaler, who's never got behind the wheel where they're pushing that point oh eight. I I used to drive home from a friend's house when I was in Laramie, Wyoming, fairly blitzed. But that well, was you like, have to. That's that's isn't that like a city bylaw? <laughs> that's a requirement. They go. You're under the limit. It's Saturday night. Go to jail. Uh, well, I had like three right turns and a left turn or something like that. And it was usually, there was snow on the ground, so your car was kind of skidding around anyway. Mm-hmm. So, and you're going about 10 miles an hour, so it was never really a, uh, I was never, I didn't really think of myself as endangering anybody. It was usually at well, like one at one in the morning. The, the uh, why I call Matthew Broderick the murderer Matthew Broderick? Is because they do charge people with basically murder in this country if you have an accident while you're drunk and kill somebody. You can, you can get like five five year prison sentence. It's not manslaughter. It's technically murder. No, I think they I think it's considered like some. They had a like a premeditation because you decided to get drunk. So I think the idea of sending buddy somebody to jail and making them a felon because they drank and killed somebody in a, in a motor vehicle collision. I think that's pretty. Outrageous. I also think the idea that you get drunk in another country and you do the same thing and all you get is a fine, and you're still beloved by the American people, <laughs> I find that pretty funny too. It's just, it's sort of, you're showing the extremes of something, look, shit happens. I take a little bit of a shit happens attitude towards life. Sometimes your brother gets killed on the road and it's tough. And believe me, if that happened to me, I'd be pissed. But shit happens. Coincidentally, he was in the car with Jennifer Grey, who is also the co-star of Mr. Patrick Swayze. And she, was face, she has facial injuries. That's why she had that nose No, job. she did not. She's unrecognizable now, which is kind of a bummer, because she was sort of... That she had, that, had that honker that was that very... was fine. She, yeah. she was a cute girl. But anyways, that's, she was that's in, the Matthew She co-starred uh, with Patrick Swayze, uh, who's in this film as Bodie, in Dirty Dancing, which I saw recently, because it was like Rose's favorite movie. Mm-hmm. I have never seen it. Oh, it's worth watching. Oh, really? Not because it's a good movie, but it's just worth watching. So it's uh, Gray and who's the co-star? Patrick Swayze. Oh, I thought it was Kevin Bacon. It's the... Oh, yeah. Patrick Swayze and Kevin Bacon have a little bit of... 
like Persona, kind of movie-wise, a little bit of that. Uh, they differ. They differ on their pancreatic cancer similarities, though. Yeah, the Kevin Bacon didn't get pancreatic cancer and die, but uh, Patrick Swayze, unfortunately, uh, is no longer with yeah, us. Yeah, that's not something you want to joke about. No. Um, so I don't know who, if Matthew Broderick was going to play Keanu uh, or Charlie Sheen was going to play Bodhi. I guess it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's probably not worth speculating too much. Uh, Point Break was originally going to be called Johnny Utah. Oh, no, that wouldn't be a bad name. Uh but they thought that the the film didn't really that didn't really give a hint about what the film was about. Well, yeah, I mean, considering all the, uh, I mean, the there was just an incredible incredible degree of filmmaking skill. This, the first half of this film is almost a, uh, some of the best uh, shots of surfing I've ever seen. It, it. I mean, it's just there's just amazing surfing photography. Some of the I don't know any of the story about who Catherine Bigelow brought in, but it almost seems like Catherine Bigelow just wanted to make a surf film using modern techniques of filmmaking. It's been commented on. There's there's uh, some reviews that have said that uh, it has some of the ten best surfing scenes in cinema. I mean, it's just the cinematography is just fucking amazing. That's absolutely fucking amazing. That's what I appreciated more about this movie now than I think I did back then. It doesn't surprise me, though, that you know Ridley Scott was going to be uh, uh, tapped to direct it. Just because they needed a great filmmaker who really understood modern cinematography? Uh, it's a visual movie. Oh, yeah. <coughs> at its core. And we're getting, we get treated just to that kind of the slow-mo surfing shots, which I found uh, interestingly done is that they are able to hide kind of the stuntman's face or the stunt surfer's face in such a way that you never actually find see that it's really not the person. Like, well, that's quite a, quite often it is the person. Maybe not ripping it real hardcore, but riding in front of the wave like they're riding out of a tube they just caught. There's some there's some great surfing by the actual actors. Uh, true. Uh, Lori Petty, Patrick Swayze, and Keanu Reeves actually learned how to surf on the island of why together um i don't think uh he'd been patrick swayze been surfing a couple times keanu had never surfed before and Lori petty had never been in the ocean mm-hmm. uh so <laughs> she'd never been in the ocean yeah so there's this professional surface surfer dennis jarvis who trained them to surf i guess to the point that they could start on surfing scenes in the film mm-hmm. um yeah, and actually, uh, Patrick Swayze is a skydiver, so all the skydiving scenes were Patrick Swayze. And, uh, oh yeah, well, some of them were simulated skydiving, certainly. Yeah, yeah, you kind of had... yakking to each other. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, there's no way you can talk while you're skydiving. But, um, also, I think two of the ex... two of the... of Bodhi's gang, they were professional, uh, surfers. Oh really? Slash amateur actors, uh, like okay. two of those guys. So a lot of the a lot of the heavy duty surfing stuff by the actual ex presidents. Those are those real guys. Oh, they were just real surfers. So a lot of this film kind of seems to be a film what, what they call in Hollywood is the magic hour, which is that you know hour before sunset where you get the golden light and uh, mm. yeah, it's warm and it's coming in at uh, 
sort of sideways. Yeah. yeah so uh, everybody's lit real nice from one direction. You don't get all those those harsh shadows coming down from overhead. If it's uh, like a reboot of almost the Beach Boys California dream. Southern California looks great in this film. Even Is that the, where they shot? Yeah, in and around I'm, I'm LA sure. and Malibu. I know that some of the, the rainy scenes that were supposed to be northern Australia were shot on the Oregon coast. Correct. Uh, but most of it, yeah, is obviously filmed in L.A. I mean, they film okay. movies there anyway, and so that's where it takes place. Oh, right. Uh, but it has just a... It makes... It, it kind of, when I was a 18 watching the movie, it made me almost want to... Wish I had grown up or lived in Southern California. It just looked... You, it made you want to surf? I don't know. Bit. It seemed like a real pain in the ass, especially with Anthony Kiedis walking around, busting your <laughs> balls all the time. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go through all the trouble. I was like, I mean, be sort of fun to surf, but first you have to be really fit. And then you have to deal with all those assholes. Well, I don't know. I, okay, so the... And, and in the end, what are you doing? You're like skiing down a wave? Yeah. Why don't you just go I, up to the slopes? The the th- surfing... Uh, well, in Southern California... You, you, the the territorial hangs that they were. Well, I think that's everywhere. Well, I think it's a, I think it's a realistic aspect of surfing. I don't know. Like in Huntington Beach, California, there's like a, a Boeing Surf Club or something. Like we're actually like you know it's like a corporate surf club where you know people my yeah, age you have go your out ID, and go you, surfing. You, hey, bro, get the fuck out of here. That's in certain places. You can go to friendly beaches in California. I mean, not it probably doesn't have the greatest surf or the most radical surf. Well, where the point breaks really hitting. You could just go out there and futz around on a surfboard and maybe get up and, you know. Well, like so many outdoor activities, it seems like a lot of danger for not a huge amount of payoff. I was down on the Oregon coast this spring uh, near Cannon Beach, and there's uh, surfing's kind of, cold water surfing's kind of gotten a little bit more popular, and I think it's Oh, just just because maybe better uh, wetsuits? No, I think it's more just because uh, uh, kind of outdoor sports or extreme extreme sports or ex- uh, that sort of uh, outdoorsy vibe that's sort of of our generation more so than previous generations has driven people to do things that they hadn't done in the past like surfing cold water like okay. uh, here in Washington Westport down on the coast is a pretty big surfing location mm-hmm. In the Puget Sound, there's some sweet... There's some sweet, sweet ass. You can get... You, you get like three, four-inch high waves. Totally. You can ride it for maybe a foot or two. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. Anyway, uh, down on Oregon, and so we were watching surfers, uh, one of these bays or coves near Cannon Beach down there, and it just looked like so much fucking work. Mm-hmm. Uh, for starters, they have to get out to the waves. Yeah, so you got to get over the break. And so there's all this frothy break, and turbulence in the water because of the rocks that are out there uh it just looked exhausting so i I watched these two or three guys and you know one of them went one direction one went the other because they thought they could you know it was better to go through it and around it it took them like 10 minutes just to get out to where a wave was Mm -hmm. and uh they're waiting for a wave and so they're out there for you know another period of time waiting for a wave and then they would finally catch one, and then they'd get up, and then they'd go back down again. And they would get pushed in past the the break, and then they'd have to kind of do it all over So it would be like 15, 20 minutes in between 
for poorly catching a, a weak for wave. five to ten seconds of of getting up on your board moderately exciting if surfing usually aborted efforts all right so neither of us be interested in surfing uh, i don't know i i it would like be easier to just go skiing. Hawaii is a different story. Yeah, skiing you get a lot more run time. I mean, it'd be sort of effort. nice if you lived right on the beach. It'd be a nice thing to do, a little activity in the morning or in the after work. Uh, well, I haven't had the rush of being on a surfboard as the wave is pushing you. So maybe there's something like Bodie was describing that's like a hit of heroin there for a half a second or two. Uh, yeah. When you're on a big wave, I don't I know. Guess. Uh, in Hawaii, you gotta be an adrenaline junkie, man. Yeah, you gonna Bodie? He'll take you to the edge. He'll take you to the fucking edge. Maybe beyond it. <laughs> I want to talk about thanks, Bo- Tyler. I want to talk about Bodie in 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 a, in a bit because that's a whole character study unto itself. Mm-hmm. But the, I mean, just talking about the the great photography. Yeah. Well, we were talking about the great photography, Southern California went on to surfing, mm-hmm. so we're kind of a little bit scattered there. But uh, I wanted to talk about surfing a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a love letter to surfing. I don't, I don't know why. Catherine Bigelow, but she certainly wrote a beautiful letter. Uh, yeah. It, it, uh, it paints surfing in a very romantic light. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's very manly. Oh, yeah. like There was like, Tyler was the only chick out there. All the other chicks had terrible late 80s, early 90s uh, high-cut French bikinis on yeah oh yeah <laughs> those are the worst uh yeah and Lori petty uh is a bit of a uh, tomboy anyway so yeah she is very boyish it can fit in with that crowd yeah. i guess to a point she's out there playing football with them on the beach yeah, yeah, and things yeah. uh yeah surfing i i don't know I, I maybe the closest i'd ever do it do would be like paddle boarding which seems just Kind of the most bizarre recent phenomenon of outdoor water sports. Have it's you like seen? Lazy. Oh, oh. It where takes... you stand on a basically you stand on a surfboard and you have like a long, like oar. Yeah, it you takes. Just, you just. It looks like you're walking around the water. It takes two sports and makes takes the most boring elements out of them and combines <laughs> them. Standing on a board on flat water and rowing. And rowing. So, like, you take a kayak, <laughs> and where a kayak has a little bit of adventure to it because you're on the water uh-huh. and you. You know, uh, you can handle a little bit uh, more. Chop. Well, you can do kayak like in little. Well, maybe they maybe they do this. What do you call it? Paddleboard. Maybe they do it down like whitewater rafted, whitewater paddleboarding. Oh, oh my God, that's the next I thing. Think that would, I'm going to start a tour on the Skycomish well, tour company right now. If you do anything like that, and you have to call it surfing. Well, what you could do is oh, here, here, here's what you do. You get uh, you you put on like these aqua ski boots, and basically you have uh. What do you call the fittings on the skis where your boots get into? The uh, they already have that actually. But you put them on the paddleboard, so you can't fall off. They have that, and uh, oh. f- well, and and that segues to big wave riding, which is what Bodie's all about, catching the big wave. Mm-hmm. Um, big wave riding now, and I don't know if it, it's a fairly recent invention, may have occurred after this film was made, but uh, what they do now to ride really huge waves like bizarrely huge waves, is uh, they get towed in on a jet ski. Oh, I heard about that. Where the, the surfboard actually has what you mentioned, which is foot straps. So you foot strap into it, mm-hmm. and then you more or less water ski being towed behind a jet ski. Until you can get And then the jet loose. ski comes up up to the wave, and then it kind of just does a whip, mm-hmm. and then it whips you 
up oh, into the wave, yeah. and then you do a cut, and then now you're riding like this supernaturally high wave. But they, this is like big o- open ocean waves. Uh, they have done it in big open ocean waves. Like there's big breaks out where. But they do it. They do it on beaches too. They do that. Well, they do it wherever a big wave's at. Okay, because well, you have to, in order to catch the wave, you got to paddle yourself up to a certain speed. This this takes care of it via yeah, jet that. ski. Because there's probably, probably a limit to how much you can hand paddle, how fast you can get going to catch the wave. I think that's what they realized is that uh, you reach the theoretical limit. There's ways that are really too big to catch by hand. Passive wave riding. So now you get towed in on a jet ski, which is even more dangerous well, if why, you crash. Why don't you just take a cigar boat, catch the big waves in a cigar boat? Wouldn't that be fun? I don't know. Maybe. You'd probably lose a lot more hardware. Roll up, rolling a ski boat onto coral is probably not that great of an idea. Yeah, maybe not. So, uh, yeah, I love letter to surfing. I would agree. And it's come a long way since the, uh, was it, uh, the old 60s beach movies where they had the shaky projector behind, uh, oh, yeah. Annette Funicello and, uh, yeah, you're sitting on, you're sitting on like a, you're yeah. sitting on like a, a beach board on the on a post. You're going, yeah, with perfectly dry quaffed hair. Exactly. No, no, and you got to remember they're doing this all with film. Yeah, natural exposure rates. Well, surfing documentaries. I mean, there was Endless Summer, which was a '60s surfing documentary. Oh, really? Yeah, and then there was a recent one that was pretty good called like Step Into Liquid, which is about big wave. Yeah, I do remember seeing that one. Well, I don't know if that. I think that was probably filmed on film, so digitally. I don't know. Uh, the technology has gotten pretty good to do surf film. So I, I, I obviously I did no research, but I wonder if, considering she was married to Scott at the time, um, did uh, did they have to invent any new technology for this film, like some of the water cameras or some I don't special know. lenses? I, I'm assuming not. I'm assuming that they uh, just went ahead and used what existing technology okay. there was for documentary I would, I wouldn't be too surprised if they had to create something. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Uh, so, we kind of talked about the uh, production there. Um, I guess we can get kind of into the meat of the film, which, uh, I don't know, where do you start with? Well, if we, if we do we want to talk about the story? Uh, there's and not... Bodie, the story's, and Johnny Utah? Yeah, okay. For starters, Point Break is kind of gotten its uh i don't know cult status from i don't want to call it campy it's almost cheesy Uh, well there's plenty of two-dimensional characters and there's a whole hell of a lot of cheesy poorly delivered dialogue especially by utah i I want to mention something about point break since in the 20 years that it's been around there was a there was a theater act called point break live and it ran for about surprisingly five years. And Point Break Live, and I, I YouTubed a few of these little clips. So it was a it was a theater recreation of Point Break on a small stage. Yeah, on a small stage, like with no, uh, just like the the empty uh, set sort of. Uh Oh, Small it was cheap. No, it had. Or did they actually have beach sets? No, it had like uh, surfers and fake wigs and like a kiddie pool with some. They're just people. making fun of it. Yeah, they're making fun of it, but they would deliver the the dialogue at you know from the script, and the gimmick was is that they would t- you would go to Point Break Live, and they would pick a guy randomly out of the audience, mm-hmm. and they would, would come up and talk about the asshole shortage. He would go up and play 
Keanu Reeves. And so there was a gal that would run around with uh, cue cards that had all the Keanu Reeves lines <laughs> on it. So uh, all the actors had done it before knew all their lines, so they would repeat their lines uh-huh. from the movie. And the guy would, if you it was you, uh-huh. you would look down at the cue cards and then you would repeat Keanu Reeves lines from uh, Point I'm Break. It. And so uh, <laughs> the whole... The whole idea, and let me let me find out what the what the point of it was. Well, because he just he he delivers his lines very wooden to capture the rawness of a Keanu Reeves performance, <laughs> even from those who generally think themselves incapable of acting. <laughs> I watched two or three clips, and it was pretty funny. Are we gonna jump? Or are we gonna jerk off? <sighs> and uh, one of the guys who went to see the uh, Point Break live, uh, you know, rethought his impressions of Point Break, and he actually compiled. Uh, the eleven most cheesiest lines from oh, the film. Who wants? Do you want to read them or shall I read? Um, I, go for it. There's, Let's hear I mean, there's eleven here, and some of them are, are, are kind of long. But um, let's let, do it. Let's throw a couple at me. Okay. <laughs> uh, Bodie, this is your fucking wake up call, man. I'm an FBI agent. I'm an FBI. Oh, agent. That's there in the back of the van. And so uh, the guy commenting on this actually said uh, that him and his friend came away with the idea that Johnny Johnny Utah is probably the worst FBI undercover agent ever. <laughs> For starters, well, that, we could talk about every anything that Utah has a hand in is a colossal fuck up. First off, when he Anthony Kiedis and the and the crazy surfers when they go to bust them, they go in with a the smallest FBI SWAT team in the history of SWAT teams. It's him. It's like four guys, right? Yeah, overweight, uh, overweight, uh, his overweight buddy Pappas, Pappas, and then two guys that hate them, two younger <laughs> agents, and a bunch of people get killed. It's a uh, colossal fuck up. It's like it's right up there with all the colossal police fuck ups in uh, Hard Boiled. Yeah, I was thinking that uh, Johnny Utah is a bit of a, a tequila hack. Yeah, he's 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 anything he touches. I mean, you just go through the film. I mean, the raids a total fuck up. Uh, the uh, they're uh, when they finally figures out who the dead presidents are, they fuck up the uh, the casing, the bank. So they get away, and they have a terrible <laughs> chasing where they unload clips out into the public and miss absolutely everybody. So that uh, that actually, there's there's two more lines that that they were called the top eleven cheesiest, and it's uh, uh, Pappas or Gary Busey's character obsession with those fucking meatball sandwiches that literally blow the steak out yeah, of the yeah. bank. Oh, that, and he's reading like Ziggy or something. In the, in the, and, la- and like who laughs at the fucking? I mean, is. That's crazy Gary Busey going on Pappas right there. does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he he gets obsessed about those fucking meatball sandwiches. It's 10.30 in the morning, man. It's 10 th- well, that's kind of what time I eat. I'm an, early, I'm an early guy. Well, I guess if you're camping out at a bank. So Yeah, he's like, get, he has Utah get him two of them. Mm-hmm. And then he when, could eat the ass out, ass out of I'm a... I'm so hungry, I could eat the ass out of a dead rhino. I should have <laughs> you gotten me three of these things. And all the while, uh, the ex-presidents are, are filing into the bank uh-huh. and doing They've their They've already job. filed in. they got their 90-second turnaround time. Yeah, and while they're fucking around getting meatball sandwiches. So, yeah, that, that was a fuck-up. Yeah. And then uh, the horrible uh, chase scene where um, I don't think anybody dies in it, but uh, it's definitely... Uh, 
I don't know what the right word is. Well, it's a, it's a car chase and a foot chase. Although I did like the foot chase. One. Oh, I thought the foot. I thought I thought the whole chase was really good. I'm just saying that Utah fucked up. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Both those times. Yeah. I mean, and every gets every time he pulls his piece out, it would be a big fucking media bonanza. People would get fired for the sort of bullshit he pulls. Yeah. How he gets um, like turned back onto the case after the fuck up with the. Uh, uh, the the crankhead surfer house. Yeah, how is he not just like fired? Uh, yeah, he's he's uh, it's his raid. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It's his first D- raid. He fucks up a DEA a DEA undercover job. Yeah, and then the next thing you know, he's he gets uh he gets uh sort of blackmailed by Bodie, and he's goes to help them. Uh, yeah, he does rob the- a bank, and that's a colossal fuck up on top of everything else. Yeah, it's like the a Patty Hearst scenario mm-hmm. where he goes on the raid with them, mm-hmm. um, be- and next next he uh, he convinces Pappas to let him chase after them to the airport. He goes, and that's a close. Pappas gets killed. <laughs> Another one of the dead presidents gets killed. A plane gets hijacked, and. At the end of the movie, he's still a fucking FBI agent. I would after have, all that. You would it's think, nothing but fuck up after fuck up. You would think that landing in the desert of Mexico, you just would have fucking stayed there. He, he was like, already under arrest before he even got to that point. Oh yeah, what happened with that court case? He was. He was. Still, <laughs> but at the end of the film, he's still an FBI agent. I'm just saying, it's got a lot of. It's, yeah, they are. They are. Is Hardball, did Hardball come out before or after this? I don't know. Uh, it seems like they're about the same time. I think about the same time. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, he is the, he's a terrible FBI agent. <laughs> so that's that's not what uh, this this person who went and saw Point Break Live was commenting on. He was like undercover agent when he's number nine for Ohio State, Johnny Utah, until he, he <laughs> fucked up his knee. Remember the surfers like, oh, hey, man, it's number nine from Ohio State. That is actually a really great scene. I almost used that as our intro, but there's too much beach noise. Uh, wh- wh- the whole there. scene or just the, the you, part? I, I, got, I got it here. You want me to play it oh, for you? Let's hear a drop. Let's okay. drop that bitch in. It's Johnny Utah. Ohio State Buckeyes all-conference, remember? Number nine, man. How you doing? <laughs> nice to meet you. Jesus Christ. Johnny fucking Utah. Sorry, man. Didn't mean to get in your face. Man, I knew I knew you. It was the Rose Bowl. Three years ago, you beat SC, right? You? You did this. That was, him. That was one hell of a game. Oh, no yeah, but uh, you got nuked in the last quarter or something. Yeah, I got my knee folded back about 90 degrees the wrong way. <laughs> That's why you never went pro? Two years of surgery. Missed my window. Went to law school instead. Law school? You're a lawyer? Wow. Well, life's not over yet, man. You're surfing. Lawyers don't surf. This one does. Uh, <laughs> I, I do like that interchange. But yeah, he goes in as himself. Yeah. But, you know, maybe that's the more effective undercover thing. I don't know. Uh, it, maybe it's like uh, James Bond when he is on Bond. James Bond's like, really? You're like the most famous international spy ever? Well, I guess just because he was a... You know, he went to the Rose Bowl. Fuck, he QB'd in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, and uh, now he's an undercover agent. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's okay. You know, you drop off the radar, but uh, I guess, could you just Google search somebody and find out whether they're FBI agent or not? <laughs> well, this is before Plus, this, all that. This is pre-Google. This he's is like, before all that. He didn't that. have his Facebook page with him, like, going, dude, totally got to be an FBI agent, man. Yeah, you could go to his uh, bio page on Wikipedia and find out that he was a Quantico uh graduate of the FBI. Yeah, and you could uh, 
find out that his parents aren't actually dead when he, when he right. finds Tyler that yeah, yeah. line. A real blue flame special. What what does blue flame mean? He, both uh, both their boss and Pappas uses the term blue flame. Uh, I've never heard of it. I, I don't know. I, I, there's like, I was saying blue light special, but that's like an old uh, Kmart reference for uh, blue flame. I don't yeah, know. I never, I never Googled it, so I guess neither of us Googled it. I don't know. Whatever. He was totally a blue flame special. <laughs> Um, yeah, that, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty funny scene. I don't know. It seems a little forced, obviously. I, I, I thought, you know, the thing is, Bodie, I mean, he makes the whole film, Patrick Swayze. Oh, and half of the... When everybody else is a little bit of a cardboard cutout, Bodie is a fully realized Bodie, character. yeah, maybe this is and a without, good time. without him, this movie would sort of suck. It would be... But Patrick Swayze just, he takes Bodie and just... Puts his Bodhi suit on. So let, okay, so let's 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 talk about Bodhi. I came across a Entertainment Weekly um, uh, review just in the kind of the summary part here in Wikipedia. But uh, there's a comment by Owen Gleiberman, and uh, Point Breaks Point Break makes those as, those of us who don't spend our lives searching for the ultimate physical rush feel like second-class citizens. Mm -hmm. The film turns reckless athletic valor into a new form of aristocracy. And so Bodhi is uh, the epitome of, I think, that well-put line. Um, And, you know, he... Well, he's more than just about adrenaline, Rush. He's also sort of a Zen, sort of a Buddhist. He has... (laughs) That's Bodhi. They call him the Bodhisattva. Which what I is Bodhisattva? What is that a plan? Uh, it's a it's a Buddhist term for being of wisdom or something oh, really? like that. Yeah, he does. He does. He sees. I mean, he's he's almost like a guy who took acid. You know, how acid will take some people and sort of set them down a little somewhere a little off norm, but sometimes it works out for people. Like it gives them a little more. Uh, I don't know. It lets them step back from society. He sort of has that feel. Isn't he just kind of full of bullshit? I, I mean, watching this, I've okay, I've met, I've met, what I would call more low rent versions of Bodhi. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, kind of in the in the skiing world, because that's the only sort of uh, analogous activity that I've done that could relate to surfer. I've been around people who are ski bums who work seasonal jobs so they can go ski all winter mm-hmm. and you know being around him I, th- there's a clickishness to him kind of like that 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 reviewer was pointing out and it's almost to be in their club is it's like they're they're a club their personality or the group of of people that they're around is sort of an exclusive club yeah and to get admitted to that club you have to be of a certain personality type similar you to buy in a little bit you gotta buy in and 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 obviously uh and what are you buying into you're buying in to this false spirituality now i'm not going to argue that bodhi's not he's not heavily he's not uh doesn't have serious flaws well if i was sitting around the campfire but he does have an ethos he lives by which is, uh, I'd say it's almost a little some. hypocritical because he's well, ta- certainly is hypocritical because yeah. he talks about uh, uh, 
you know, uh, being non-violent. above. Yeah, that's the other one. It's like, I hate violence, man. I'm like, really, it. dude? You hold people at gunpoint yeah. like all summer long. Yeah, you've uh, done 30 armed robberies and you've never <laughs> shot anybody. Plus, okay, arm, arm robbery, bank robbery is one of the worst crimes. I mean, it's just one of the ones. It's one of the highest catch rates of any crime. For like profit per possibility of getting caught, it's absolutely one of the worst you can do. There was you might a, as well just you should do wire fraud if you want your lowest chance of getting caught. There was a great bank robbery in Ballard where I live in Seattle, and it was two guys who <laughs> who robbed a bank uh, in daylight. Uh, I think daylight. That's bankers' hours. You don't rob a bank in at night. But anyway, uh, yeah. broad daylight, I guess. Yeah, and uh, took off. And people saw these two guys take off out of the bank. And they went and they got a cab. Like, they hail the cab or they call the cab or there's a cab waiting for them. Oh, okay. And and so they got in the cab. uh, You know, they weren't running with their guns and bags of money. Yeah, so the cab driver didn't know any different. Didn't know any different. And then the cab took off. Mm -hmm. And so the police showed up and they go... Uh, did you see what happened to these guys? And there was a ton of witnesses because it was the middle of the day. And they said, oh, he went over and got in it. They got over into an orange cab. Mm-hmm. And so all they had to go through is the dispatch list uh-huh. and figure out where that cab went, even if they did pay the cabbie in cash, you know, which... Yeah, I, yeah. So what, did they take the cab back to their they, apartment? They, they, they got a hold of the orange cab, and they go, where did that cab go? Uh-huh. And they go, oh, it went up to some transient... Ho- it went up to this transient hotel on Aurora. That's where the guys were? Yeah, well, see, you know, usually the sort of bank robbers, it's usually desperate people. Uh, we'll just do anything for a couple of grand. Sure. Um, so, obviously, Bodie and company, the ex-presidents, have made, uh, have a system in yeah, place. Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad system. Yeah. They're so, ghosts, man. So, but he says, uh, you know, he talks about the system, but he, he goes... Um, this was never about the money for us, bullshit. Bullshit right it there. It was, because they needed to finance their lifestyle. Yeah, so of course it's about the money. It was about us against the system, that system that kills the human spirit. <laughs> we stand for something to those dead souls inching, those steel al- coffins. inching along the freeways in their metal coffins. <laughs> we show them that the human spirit is still alive. And I'm like, oh, no, you're kind of a parasite, and you feed off of the dead. system. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you're not above it. You're not bucking it. If you were, if you really, truly were against the system, you would live like a penniless monastic lifestyle on Bali and like, you know, surf that way as some kind of weird hermit. You wouldn't be fucking uh, getting cash from knocking over banks so you could go buy CDs at Tower Records and have a lunch at Patrick's Roadhouse. I mean, you you would be you'd be above it, right? You'd be some kind of Zen guru master. No, he's still busy getting laid. Yeah, he's having kinda, parties. Uh, which, which and, and flying around the world. Which is he's a fucking hypocrite. So, yeah. I, I I mean, you but know. uh he does have a real nice facade. Well, it's the the kind of metaphysical thing where he's talking about uh you know when he's he's talking about um oh the the four goons on the beach uh by the way i was thinking wouldn't it be awesome to be referred to as war child war I, would you like me to call you war child please do it's right. like uh, can you go i i need to get uh, to the cult of matt mark by war child <laughs> 
I was just thinking, like, if I was in the office and, and like, that was my nickname, Warchild, I was like, yeah, you know, we're going to need... Uh, Could you get it on your badge? We're going to need some electrical specs uh, transferred over from the customer, and can you work that? Uh, no, I can't, but Warchild, down on the end of the, the, the cubicle block there, can do well, it Well, Matthew, you. it wouldn't be that hard. You could just legally get your name changed. And thus, <laughs> your legal name is probably has to be on your ID. There you go. It's done. <laughs> You can be War Child World Peace. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, the four goons that that Bodie and oh, that's another thing. Bodie, if I can, he's but, like but Bodie's not just all about violence. Well, he can. He took those dudes out like he was some Brazilian jiu-jitsu master. Well, he look, Bodie's t- an exceptional person, just like Johnny Utah are. They're not normal people, like so many films. The film's about exceptional persons. So the uh, well, fact that he took out Warchild and the and Anthony Kiedis and the goons, yeah, doesn't is not that it just goes to show that he is an exceptional human being. But he doesn't. He's not just about senseless violence. He uses violence as a tool. He's a little more like the you know sort of how people who are really successful act is that they use the tools indiscriminately that they have. I mean, he he goes over the line. A lot with his violence. So uh, I would, the violence is—he doesn't love violence. He, he hates just, violence. He may hate it, but it's another tool in his tool chest. I hate hammers. When I gotta no, put a nail in, no. I gotta use one. Uh, that comment he makes about those four goons, though, is—we're talking about like Bodhi's sort of Zen physical, metaphysical side. It's like they only give live to get radical. They don't understand the spiritual side. And it doesn't mean he doesn't understand the spiritual side. Well, I, I okay. I think he does. So I, I get. I mean, people, people are always a collection of, of these uh, sort of uh, opposed, opposing opinions. We all, we all keep within ourselves things that uh, you know they uh, they don't really jive with each part. So maybe hypocrite isn't the best term. Maybe uh, juxtaposition of character or contrast or paradox is maybe the, the better word to describe him than... Yeah, he's a collection of paradoxes like everybody's a collection of paradoxes. Okay, which is... He's uh, just an exceptional... He has a bunch of exceptional paradoxes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, yeah, <laughs> but some of his uh, metaphysical mutings, uh, like everything moves in cycles. So twice a century, the ocean lets us know just how small we are Storm comes out of Antarctica, tearing up the Pacific, and sends its huge swell north, the swell north miles. And when it hits Bell's Beach, I'll turn into, it'll turn into the biggest surf this planet has ever seen, and I will be there. Which, really, he should be uh, probably one of the, the, the top meteorologists as well, because being able to predict the uh, well, it is weird. They talk about a fifty-year storm causing the biggest surf this world's ever seen. You mean the biggest surf it sees twice a century? <laughs> The biggest surf he'll see in his lifetime. Ah, uh, sure. Like Haley's Comet of Surf. Yeah. All right. Oh, I, I don't. I don't have a big, okay. big problem with that. There's all sorts of. Talk well, about I that. think the problem is I'm doing a little guilt by association because I've I've met like I said low rent versions of Bodie, Bodie. that uh, typically in the ski bum world. Well, he's really in the deep down. He's selfish. Well, he's a selfish big. And, and and you really sort of see it laid bare at the end when he goes on the run by himself. Yeah. It's really not about his buddies and how he just, like, when he leaves, uh, when he's, well, when he's down just, when it's just the gang of two, the ex-presidents are the gang of two when he 
is on the ground in Mexico. After well, that's Rosie, who's technically not an ex-president. That's his strong man. That's his. Yeah, uh, that's his muscle. He's not. A, he's not an adrenaline junkie, Rosie. No. But anyways, it's still part of his gang. That he just leaves the last of the dead presidents on the ground to rot. <laughs> right. He takes. The, he takes the money, and in, in the end, Rosie gets killed. Yeah. And he's all by himself, but he's still only worried about catching the ultimate wave. So in the essence, he is an extremely. He's extremely. He's just, selfish. Well, and 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 that attitude isn't um, unique, especially with people who do. I'm just going to say extreme activities, whether or it's people that are very successful, big mountain climbing, or yeah, I guess in this case, big wave riding. Um, he says something, and 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 this is something that it's a comment that drives me insane when I hear about it on the news. Usually, it has to do with people who are mountain climbers or die up on Mount Rainier and mm. stuff. Um, well, <laughs> Bodhi prefaces the comment by saying, if you want the ultimate, you've got to be willing to pay the ultimate price. It's not tragic doing what you love. And I hear that quite a bit with, uh, you know, kind of extreme skiers. You die in avalanches and mountain climbers. You hear that on the news, like friends who say that, well, at least he died doing what he loved. And I'm okay. like, what's wrong with that? Because it's, 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 uh, a shrug off of, of tragedy that is well, the problem is is yes it is tragic that these people did doing what they love because for starters a lot of them have families and people that care oh, about Oh yeah them. they leave like their kids behind. And so sometimes I'll hear not about Bodie though Well okay uh, not Bodie but um that that catch line doing what you love died doing what you love and for starters I always think I always think of the literal. I'm like, oh, he died. He died. He died from extreme for- child rearing. He loved raising his children, but he went over the edge. That's right. He took it. He took it to the edge. He took he it ta- to the edge. He, he was an attachment parent so much that he, he had drowned uh, in wild waves. That's right. showing his kids the time of their lives. That's right. he, he died doing what he loved. That's right. He, he had an aneurysm in the teacups at Disneyland. He fucking died doing what he loved. Uh, uh, d- <laughs> Um, Would that be a tragedy? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, yeah, nobody I don't says know. that, right? This I, is seems about the same to me. I don't know. Dying doing what you love rather than dying of pancreatic cancer. Yeah, some, I think I'd rather die doing what I love. Some doting father gets beamed in the side of the head yeah, at his I'm kids' really have little wing game uh, and dies. Autoerotic asphyxiation. Then maybe I could die doing what David I David Carradine died doing what, what he loved. loved. So did uh, Michael of the, Hutchins of NXS. Beaten off of the rope around his neck. <laughs> Is it a tragedy? I don't know. I mean, everybody dies. I mean, maybe it's not a tragedy when you're 95 that you die. But if you got to die, if everybody's got to die anyways, you might as well die doing what you love. Right? Well, like I said... I mean, I was... It's certainly less tragic than being hit by uh, Matthew Broderick on some back road in Ireland. Right? Yeah, it's not doing what you love. Yeah. I love getting hit by drunk drivers. <laughs> Well, I was always thinking the literal when you think about people say, "Oh, die doing my love." I was like, "What's what's that freezing to like uh, f- hypothermia?" You enjoy- <laughs> I love hypothermia. I love hypothermia, and I'm glad I died doing it. Or drowning when uh, you're you know an extreme I scuba diver. I love on rocks below the surf. <laughs> so I really love rocks. Love water. <laughs> he loved coral. <laughs> he always okay. says, "I dream of being one of those rocks in the in the polishing tumbler." <laughs> Okay, we're, we're taking that a little off but, the side. But, but I, you're, I, saying, you're saying it's tragic. I, I don't know. I mean, sure, maybe it's, no. it's always tragic when somebody in their 30s or whatever dies with a family, but it happens. Uh, but so you might as well do, 
die doing something you love. No, that's crap. It's crap. It's it's it's. Are okay. you not supposed to take a risk? Um, it, our, our, maybe why if you have like a million dollar life insurance? Is, is, it, is it a tragedy when heroin junkies OD? They die doing what they love. Not really. What? It's, oh. it's a tragedy. Oh, you're kind of getting, kind of getting amoral with this. I I, okay. I, I, just, I okay. have a hard time. I mean, okay. it's a tragedy more when it's. It's certainly more of a tragedy when it comes out of the blue, like you hit with a piano falling off a building when you're walking to work. Well, that's more tragic than dying in a ski accident where you run into a tree. I'm trying to draw an analogy here because, uh, okay, so if you take uh, big wave riding or you know big mountain skiing or whatever, um, and you have a family member who's engaged in that activity and they're obsessed with it, and that's what they live to do. And then they die doing it. How is that different than having a family member who's addicted to heroin and who ODs? It's a selfish activity, for starters. You're doing it completely for yourself. You're not doing it uh, for your family or any reason. It's not like you're volunteering at at uh, yeah. A soup you're doing kitchen. it for your own personal gratification. Sure, and but that's it's risky. It's risky. Yeah. Um, but. When you're doing it, big mountain skiing, somehow that's more constructive than shooting heroin into your veins. And uh, is it because? Well, I think it's it's more constructive because it's easier to draw the line between I'm on the mountain, I'm off the mountain. When I'm, right. When I'm, so you're, I'm on, I, I'm on the junk. I'm on the junk. I'm not on the junk. So it's a little harder distinction. You just get in your car and drive off the junk. So you don't come home and your brother-in-law is oh, stolen. I went. I, stolen you don't drive the gold bar and become a junkie for the weekend, and then come home and you're clean. Right. You come home and like your brother-in-law is stolen, like your fucking oh, man, TV I set. Told, yeah. Because <laughs> he needed to buy junk. Yeah. You don't have your your brother-in-law yeah. who's a skier coming and like stealing shit so he can uh, get some gas money to go up to wherever. Uh, in the mountains. I guess I don't have a problem with people dying doing what they love. Um, I whether just think it's... May, a, whether it be David Carradine or some, some <laughs> meth addict. Okay. All right. I, I just think it's a I think it's a cop-out, and I, 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 I kind of loathe when I hear that. For a, for a selfish activity. It's a selfish activity. Well, I mean, as long as you realize that it is, you're doing it just Die for doing a selfish activity. He died doing something that was just for him. Okay. It's better than dying, like, saving a... a uh, no, no. somebody from like the flood, a flood, or uh... yeah, saving a fat guy caught in a storm drain. I'd <laughs> be better to do that. All right, well, and whatever. I guess it's better than dying of a heart attack in my uh, cubicle at age sixty. But... Yeah, it's better than dying on the john until you and nobody finds you for two months while your body mummifies. Wow, that happened to somebody. It happens. Did it happen to Elvis? No, Elvis. Yeah. They found him immediately, but he died on the pot. I uh, took a tour of Elvis's. Honeymoon Hideaway in Palm Springs. Oh, really? And uh, sadly, the the room that I focused on most was the toilet. Is that where he died? No, but uh, Elvis was chronically constipated throughout his whole oh, life. Because of drug use? Um, possibly. And uh, they actually believed that that was led to his death was uh, chronic constipation. And, yeah, okay. Uh, anyway, so I would, I, I, going through his house, uh, saw the toilet, and I'm like, straining. there's probably some, there was there's probably some bad moments on that toilet, so Elvis did not probably die doing what he loved. It's all that hip shaking. Uh, so, okay, so Bodie, he's, he's, uh, he's selfish, he's, he's self-centered, he's a, a paradox. Yeah, he's a paradox, he's sort of a dick, you probably don't want to hang out with him. <laughs> Well, he wouldn't let you hang out with him, I don't think. You're not in his club. You, you, you let me totally hang out with him, bro. 
bra. Yeah, there's a lot of overuse of the word bra, which is more of a Hawaiian word, not so much a Southern California thing. Um, yeah, the 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 club thing, and then there's uh, kind of where they're talking about surfing, and it's using all those sort of surfing colloquialisms and yeah, things like that. Yeah, it didn't really speak to me. I the idea of even in the best case, you're just riding a board down a swell in water. I've been <laughs> well, I, I've been in conversations, and I call them kind of gear talk or whatever. But it's like uh, talking to a guy that's really into racing cars. Well, I don't want to mention names, although they don't listen to my podcast anyway. But I have a group of friends uh, who are sort of outdoor nuts, and when I say outdoor nuts, like they're always in the mountains, either backpacking or skiing. Or, yeah. Um, and then, but sitting around kind of a dinner table with them. Uh, since that's what they have in common, it's this kind of can't speak of gear and and uh, nuance of of more. I call it gear talk because that's all they really talk about. Well, like, I mean, you know, sleeping bags and enjoy. ski bindings and um, yeah, and it's what they enjoy. And then they talk about you know, like oh, I was going down this steep and I was cutting a turn, and I mean that's kind of the exciting parts of the the conversation. Mm-hmm. But really. And even I understand what they're talking about. It's boring conversation. Well, if you're not into it, it's like being with a couple of guys talking. They really love Star Trek, talking about Star Trek. Yeah, but that's more pop culture, and we can all kind of. Yeah, I don't, I don't like listening to it. But the, the, the you just say this: if you were more, you ski a little bit. If you were more into that stuff, the conversations would be interesting to you. Right. I, I equate it to when I overhear business conversations at lunch. Uh, you're talking about somebody's job, and it's uh, excruciatingly boring if you're not involved. But well, these, it's not surprising. But the but that's business. This this is more social engagements where uh, the art of conversation seems to be lost because you're so focused on the minutia of your activities that I it, it, it makes just, for you're, a, you're being too harsh, bro. All right. I'm just saying that uh, I, there's a guy I work with who has climbed Mount McKinley mountain climber um he's been all around the world with the navy most boring human being you could ever meet it's just excruciatingly boring oh because he wants to talk about all the details well, well the thing is you're talking about people in a room of course they're going to talk about all the the little minutiae of the activity they enjoy if you're doing one-on-one with those people they wouldn't go into that they talk about more broad strokes like you know what sort of feelings arose when i hit the summit of this mountain no they don't talk up they don't give or you that. maybe an interesting story about uh, you know, a time that their life was in danger and they just made it out by the skin of their teeth. To use Bodhi's phrase, they don't talk about the spiritual side of it. They only live to get radical. No, it's just, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, 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 I've, been in, I've been around these people and I, I, I've got up and left a few times from conversations. Well, which you probably should because it's not really a conversation you're a part of. At the time it was, but they're even when I've been a part of it, there's such boring conversations I have to get up and leave. Okay. It's fucking boring. It makes well, for it makes for whatever. Like maybe you shouldn't have dinner with them. I've kind of stopped. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, that's the way it goes. People have different interests. They move in different directions. All right. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's not weird. No, it's not weird. I guess that's, that's I, the thing I want to make I, I a ju- point. It's just like that's what they're into. I just it, it's uh, like if you were hanging out with a gay guys talking about cock, it would be it'd be sort of boring. <laughs> well, dude, it, 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 talking about cock has no gender. We're talking about. Everybody loves musicals. it. Musicals. Oh, yeah. You want to sit down and yak about musicals? Uh, I could form an opinion. I could I could talk about how I don't like them, and I could go into why I don't well, like you them. Say, and you and can talk dare- about how you think adventure sports are 
for a bunch of small dick weirdos. Well, I kind of... <laughs> yeah, I try to insinuate that into the conversations. <laughs> well, that's not going to make you any buddies. <laughs> I try to... Yeah, I, I, I usually... Uh, I don't know. Um, all right, so I've kind of gone on my rant. Yeah, uh, you got a little bit... Of, you, got, you had some strong emotions. About well, it's just I've been around it, and it bores me, and but so... You, when yeah. I, when, if, if, you know, kind of back to this... Uh, the film turns reckless athletic valor into a new form of aristocracy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, guys, everybody's in let's, good shape. Let, I, I go, let's not let's not make more of it than it is. That's kind of the point. Is is um, it's a recreational activity? Like, uh, I'm sure he doesn't listen to it, so I'm going to mention him. Extreme Mark, who you've met. Yeah, I, he's like a professional. Sp- sports. No, guy, he's right? he's some IT dude. I oh. don't know. but uh, he's done some. <laughs> Professional? No, he's not work. done anything professionally. Oh, he's I just he uh, well. He he made this this comment, which his now wife sort of uh, uh, <laughs> made fun of him about. He was like, "Yeah, for the first ten years of my life, I dedicated my life to skiing." Like, and she was like, "You mean you're a ski bum?" And that's really what he was. Yeah, I, I'm just saying that maybe there is some sort of spiritual meaning you might come to when you get really deep into something that maybe you can't see. Well, I'm just saying there could be some mystery. That's there. life, man. You should be trying to get that on an everyday basis. Yeah, you know. Believe me, I'm I'm as cynical as the next guy, but I still think there might be something there to uncover, even if it's false. Dude, Bodie's going to take you to the edge. I see. I see it in your eyes. Maybe beyond. <laughs> Speaking of beyond the edge, yeah. Let's uh, I'll, I'll see what Ebert had to say. About All this right, let's let's hit the Ebert review. <laughs> Well, Ebert uh, reviewed this movie on July 12, 1991, and he liked it, giving it three and a half stars, which is a pretty solid... It's a good Ebert review. Uh, ...since he's out of four. Um, but anyway, so he starts it off, uh, the review, with The Bodhi Tree, which I hadn't heard about. The Bodhi According Tree. According to Buddhists, is a tree beneath which one finds enlightenment. Yeah, it's the being of enlightenment. It's the Or tree. being of wisdom. Oh, yeah, maybe so. But anyways, I, I never realized that's where Bodhi came from. Uh... <clears throat> that's that's not how it works with Bodhi though, the surfing bank robber, bank robber who is the existential hero of Point Break. He existential is, uh, hero. He has such a pervasive character that uh, Johnny Utah falls under his spell. We never really talked about that. It's a bromance. But he does have. But he has a power over Johnny. Oh yeah. Like when he's uh, running away in that that really nice foot chase scene, and he just through the sheer force of will through his eyes cause uh, Johnny Utah not to shoot him. Yeah, and then there's the getting him to commit a Come, bank robbery. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Well, there's, it, no, that's not the hardest part, because he has uh, he has his girlfriend. Oh, well, that's that. The hardest yeah. part is where he shows up the next day, when they both know the score, and gets him to go jump, jump out, out of, of a plane with them. Right. That's a sh- that's just sheer force of will. I was trying to, I was trying to think of a situation, like, if, if they could uh, maybe like if he thought Johnny didn't know it was him, he I, knew. No, they, everybody knew what the score was. Oh, right. It was just sheer force of personality. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, he says that uh, Johnny uh, Utah is an, a thankless name. I guess he didn't like that name. I thought it was pretty good. He says this is some California movie, all right. 
Yeah, I'll aim into that. <laughs> the plot description I have just spelled, supplied, where he talks, he summarizes the plot, could just as easily work for Naked Gun three and a half. Well, you know, this plot actually works for uh, a few movies, and yeah. most notably was uh, a movie I didn't see called The Fast and Furious, oh, yeah. which heard, is a car version ripoff. I heard rip some off. of The Fast and Furious is pretty good. Car version ripoff of Point Break starring Vin Diesel. But he says Point Break takes the, the story deadly serious, even after adding several other preposterous developments, like a guy who gets so mad, this is Johnny Utah, he jumps out of a plane without a parachute, Free falls until he can tackle a guy who has one, and then holds a gun to his head while they're still in free fall. The Mythbusters actually tried to accomplish this stunt, <laughs> and uh, not for real, but they 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 set up the experiment. Yeah, could you hold on to somebody and not and not fall off? Uh, the, the, it wasn't so much about? that was the issue, but he uh, they wouldn't have flat out been able to free fall for ninety seconds. Oh yeah, that that's was, too. They, they would have been. Super high. Up. Uh, he may have been able to catch up to Bodhi doing like a head down dive, uh-huh. like he was doing. The thing I was doing is, why didn't he just uh, uh, go up to in, the dead guy, uh, flip Roach out of his yeah. back? Yeah, that was a better choice. <laughs> yeah, I thought he, I, I thought that's what he was going to go do. Yeah, Roach is a stiff by yeah, that yeah, point. Roach is going to die. Yeah, Roach can still is not tumbling. He's still able to hold. Which is a rather, it's a, you have to put your arms way back in order to keep that flat trajectory. Yeah. It's, uh, have you skated that before? No, you have, I actually. I have, yeah, it's pretty fun. Um, uh, I mean, I'm not an adrenaline junkie. It was a blast. Bodhi, the sunset Bodhi didn't as take I fell you to down. The, Bodhi didn't take you to the edge? No, he didn't right. take you to the edge and push okay. me over. I just jumped out of a plane. Actually, okay. I was sort of happy to jump out of the plane because it's so fucking noisy. You just want to get out of that goddamn... It's cramped and noisy. It's cramped and noisy. It's just so peaceful once you get out ah. until you start going 100 miles an hour. Right. It's noisy. Okay. Anywho, um, let me see what else he has to say. Uh, talking about Bodhi, he says he's part mystic, part criminal, all over surfer. <laughs> right. right. Is that uh, anything else? Yeah, he's got a couple other things. Uh, he says Point Break is not the kind of movie where we should spend a lot of time analyzing the motives of characters. Yeah, that's. It. I'm glad we didn't actually. Yeah, no, that's it. Like once Johnny Utah realizes, for example, that Bodie knows he's an FBI agent, an FBI agent, FBI agent. Should he really go skydiving with him? <laughs> While they're flipping shoots around on each other. In the, yeah. Exactly. Um, and then he talks about Bigelow. He says Bigelow and her crew are uh, gifted filmmakers. Uh, she's an interesting director for this material. He says she is interested in the ways her characters live dangerously for uh, philosophical reasons. Sort of doesn't make sense where he says you shouldn't analyze the motives of the characters. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, Actually, uh, I would recommend you go watch uh, The Hurt Locker because uh, The Hurt Locker, while it's set in the Iraq War, isn't really about the Iraq War. And it's about this personality type, for whatever reason, Bigelow is fixated on the only thing it's I can sort think of, similar of characters. maybe James Cameron's kind of that way because well, he's a bit of a junkie well, adrenaline he talks junkie about that here, he goes, right. um, talking about Bigelow's character and how she's interested in these characters they the characters they aren't men of action but men of thought who choose action as a way of expressing their beliefs I don't know if I quite follow uh. that um, that adds an intriguing element to their characters and makes the final confrontation of this movie as as meaningful as it can be, given the admittedly preposterous nature of it. What, where he sends them out into the waves? Yeah. Yeah, and how... He, 
I don't know. And, and, I mean, he's, in one paragraph, he's saying we shouldn't analyze the motives of these yeah. characters, and then he says that's what makes maybe, it interesting. Maybe the uh, uh, supporting characters, maybe not necessarily the main character. Maybe I don't know. Bigelow gets to the heart of it properly in uh, Hurt Locker. She does. It's where a, she didn't quite have the storytelling skills. She had all the cinematography and photography acumen at this point, but maybe she didn't quite have the chop storytelling. Uh, and maybe she finally put it all together. Yeah, the Hurt Locker, but it, it kind of it's it's disseminates down more of the... It's more about risk in that movie, not necessarily action. It's more about uh, people who need a more... Kind of a, almost a fish out of water, like in our current day and age. More fight clubby, I guess, if you want to start to kind of go that route. But. You know... Reading this review, I'm not sure how it adds up to three and a half stars. No. Maybe he just, I mean, it's great to look at. I think he just enjoyed at. the film because the photography is so beautiful. I mean, all he says about that is that the Bigelow is a gifted filmmaker. I, I, I mean, but I tell you, it is about the moving picture. And this has some beautiful moving pictures. I watched this movie, and I'd seen this movie so many times, but I, I smiled at every new scene. Because uh, it's gorgeously, it's gorgeously made. I kind of knew what was coming up, and I was like, more "Oh, than half of it. oh, this is going to be the uh, the 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 raid scene, or this is going to be the jumping out of the airplane scene, or I don't know." I got excited for every little bit that was coming up in the film. No, it's it's a it's just a beautiful film, and it's, I think that's what urges its three and a half stars. It's one of those cases when it's a it's a little dif- more difficult to talk about than the characters. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's beyond language to a certain extent. It's a hundred percent pure adrenaline. Yeah, man. <laughs> Good ball. Let's wrap it up. Uh, all right, that's about all I had on Point Break. Uh, any other? What happened to Lori Petty? Where Where is she? Uh, I just don't think. Uh, I have no idea. I didn't, I didn't look to see where what happened to her. Uh, isn't she like in a sitcom or something? And uh, I didn't Might look at her I either. Don't know. I actually uh, did some background on Keanu because Keanu's easy to beat up on. Well, he's not uh, that great of an actor. He's not that great of an actor, but um, actually, kind of Keanu had it rough as as uh, growing up. I guess his, his parents weren't around and yeah. drop out and Quite stuff like that. Well, whatever. I don't know. I kind of felt bad for him. There's actually an internet meme called "Sad Keanu." Keanu oh, is sad. It. I heard he might be gay. Oh, that's that was that's her that real? No, it's not not no, real. Okay. Uh, yeah, sad Keanu. Keanu is sad, or he's like eating a sandwich on a park yeah. bench in New York. And it's. Uh, I, I, it's I know an exactly inter- what he was feeling there. Some days I'm just like, fucking. Man. I cannot fucking believe another so, day of this bullshit. So there's just like gigabytes of, of doctored Adobe Photoshop yeah. of Keanu Reeves, like, uh, yeah. and various. various uh, well, we've all been there, man. It is very. Uh, Better than any of his actual acting, as far as well, advance of emotion. To be honest, like, I read, like, he. Uh, he. Had it got his girlfriend pregnant, but she the the baby died, and then she died in a car accident. It seemed really tragic. Oh, that, he was bad. like that. It was after a tough time in his life. It was like around the Matrix time, and I, yeah. I felt kind of bad for him. I don't yeah. know. A little rough. Tragedy happens. At least she died doing what she loved. I'd like to do what? What? <laughs> <laughs> a little off color. All right. Um, I, I'd like to do another Keanu movie at some point. I'd like uh, to do The River's Edge. Yeah, so. we should really do The River's Edge. Um, I think that's an That's a great film. Crispin Glover yeah. movie anyway. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely have to come back and do the So next week we're going to make uh we're going to we're going to try to make one of our listeners dreams come true and review a, a movie recommendation that that 
I forget his name, Aaron Connell or something, recommended to us a couple of times to do the movie Brick. And you thought that would be an appropriate movie because... A looper's coming out. It's got some good reviews. And the director... I might actually get off my lazy ass and go see something in the theater for once. The director is... What's his name? Uh, I don't remember. Okay. Brian Johnson, I think. The lead singer of ACDC? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, you can only do music for so long before you finally just go, you know, I, I just have, I need to... Uh, back in black! I got, a, I got another. <laughs> Ryan Johnson. Oh, Ryan right. Johnson. Okay. Ryan Johnson. Yeah. So he did... You, say, did you thought I said Brian Yeah, Johnson? I thought you said Brian Johnson. <laughs> uh, so he did Brick, and I've seen, I think I, I had Brick on, but I wasn't paying attention to it at some point, but mm. it's like a... High school noir, so it's sort of a hard-boiled noir, but it just happens to be set in high school. So it's kind of, it reminded me a little bit of like a movie like Romeo and Juliet, the one with Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, I love that movie when I was in my 20s. Where it's Shakespeare, but it's done in contemporary settings, so, um, and Shakespeare, there's movies like A teenage loner pushes his way into the underground of a high school school. A high school, school crime ring oh. to investigate the disappearance of his ex. Yeah, but it's not uh, high school kids. Uh, they're they're high school kids on the outside, but they're actually uh, I don't know. What, what, it's what? like Twenty One Jump Street. Did you see the new one? No, it was really funny. I heard I, it was I, actually I, pretty good. Yeah, it was really funny actually. <laughs> so, anyways, next week is Brick. Next week and is we'll Brick. We'll do the new Twenty One Jump Street after that. No, we're not doing that. We got to wait like about ten or fifteen years to see if it hits cult status before we can. Maybe not. I don't know. Whatever. Okay. We're open to everything. Well, so uh, until next week. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>